Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Floods, droughts, extreme storms, and wildfires. Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet. The real hero of the day, the citizen lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter. Saudi Arabia to meet global needs. The president left with no announcement on oil. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Let's see. Are we, are we all connected? Is everything good? A little glitchy? Can you hear me now? <laughs> That's all right. We're uh, making it work on the run. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll tell you what. Let's go to break and let's replace the mic. We've got a uh, faulty wire or something. We're going to get a break. We'll be right back. A lot to talk about today. Stay with us. I'll be right back. Now, folks, uh, uh, look, they keep talking about a pipeline, a magical cash pipeline. And that's uh, not going to bring down inflation. It's not going to bring down gas prices. Only changing my terrible policies can do that. The only cash pipeline that's open right now is the one that's dumping our money into Ukraine. Turn through the confusion to bring you clarity with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. You have to laugh or you cry. That uh, bumper Clark put together is uh, too true, I'm afraid. So uh, Biden goes over to Saudi Arabia with the idea that he's going to go over and talk them into giving us more oil so that the price of oil goes down. (laughs) Just hours after he gets back, the price of oil oil goes up. Oil prices rose on July 18th as U.S. dollars softened after Biden wrapped up his trip to Saudi Arabia. So he goes over there and the, you know everybody's upset because he did the fist pump with the crown prince. And, of course, the crown prince is accused of murdering not just one but two journalists he disagreed with. And pretty, pretty solid evidence that happened. And uh, so Joe doesn't get any more oil. I think the, the best they got is, yeah, we'll take it up with OPEC. And then the crown prince basically lectures Joe that uh, Joe, the United States of America, they've got, they've got a pretty, pretty bad track record on, on human rights as well. So, he, so Joe gets lectured. Can't make it up. It's just like. Joe, yeah, would here's an idea. If you want to lower oil prices, Joe, go back to what Donald Trump was doing. Make it easy on the oil companies. Don't shut down all these leases. Don't, I mean, you know, I, I know you put out these headlines that, uh, oh, gee, there's all these leases and they're not pumping yet. And so, therefore, it's the oil company's fault. Uh, go back to the Trump policies. This seemed to be ro- working real well. We had the, the gallon of gas down pretty close to two bucks. Now it's pretty close to four bucks. And again, you know, just like Joe did last year when the price of your 4th of July barbecue came down by, what was it, six cents? He was bragging about it. Now the price of gas is starting to drop a little bit. And now he's, oh, man, this is great. I mean, he's spiking the football over the uh, fact that gas prices, they they went up uh, about 150%. Now they've come down about 10 or 15%. So this is a victory, according to Joe. Hey, I do want to mention that because um, I, I love to put the spotlight 
when this happens. Because all we hear from the Democrats is guns are bad. Guns are bad. It's the gun's fault. An armed Good Samaritan killed a gunman inside an Indiana mall over the weekend. Authorities in Indiana report that the gunman and three other people are dead following a shooting inside the Greenwood Park Mall on Sunday evening. It was cut short, however, because a bystander had a concealed carry, had his gun with him, pulled the gun out, shot the guy, killed him. According to the Indiana Star, Greenwood Police Chief Jim Eisen said it appears he had a rifle talking of the gunman with several magazines of ammunition, entered the food court, just started shooting. One of the dead is a suspected shooter, said Mayor Mark Myers. The gunman, an adult male, has not been identified. Police said he has been carrying a long rifle and several ammunition magazines. Myers said the gunman was shot by an armed individual. Eisen, the police chief, said the Good Samaritan was a 20-year-old civilian from nearby Bartholomew County who appears to be cooperating fully with investigators. Quote, the real hero of the day is the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop the shooter almost as soon as it began, Eisen said. You know, how many of these malls do you go in, though, and they tell you you're not allowed to bring a firearm in? Now, if if you are not a, um, you know, there goes the phone. If you are not uh, the, the the bad guy, now the bad guy's going to bring the, the gun in anyway. But a uh, now now I, again, I don't know what the situation was in this particular mall, but uh, the, the good guy had a gun and took out the bad guy with a gun, and uh, this guy had several magazines in his rifle w- with his rifle. How many people could have he shot and killed if it not b- been for this twenty-two-year-old who had the wherewithal, the training, and the courage? to take out this gunman. Kudos. By the way, speaking of uh, gunmen, did you hear the story over the weekend where Black Lives Matter protesters were caught on video badgering a woman who was the victim of a gunshot, uh, a gunman shooting, I should say, in Minneapolis, in her apartment, she she lived in an apartment complex, her home. Two children were inside. She was inside. This gunman by the name of Tekel Sunberg, black male, just started shooting up her apartment. I mean, her, her apartment is all shot up. She called the police. The police came. They tried to negotiate with the guy. They tried to talk him down. They tried to go get the gunman's parents to come and talk him down. Now, the family is saying we have mental problems. Well, yeah, I guess if you're shooting up a house, you, you've got mental problems. He had a mental health episode is how they put it. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say if you're shooting up somebody's house, you're having a mental health episode. Um, Arabella Yarborough was the name of the woman who admonished protesters. So the, the, the police take out this Tekel Sunberg. Shoot, shoot and kill him after he's endangering the lives of this woman and her two children. Um, immediately, Black Lives Matter shows up and start protesting. Arabella Yarborough 
goes out in the street and lets these protesters have it, saying, why are you doing this? This guy was up there trying to kill me. And you're protesting as if the police did something wrong. You guys are celebrating his life, she said. Let it go. Grief and silence. This is not okay. This is not a George Floyd situation. George Floyd was unarmed. This guy was armed, and he was shooting at people. Now, you'd think even the Marxist Black Lives Matter folks would say, okay, uh, we'll back off. No. They told the woman to shut up, to shut the F up, that you have nothing to complain about. You're not dead. I'm not kidding. You're effing alive, so shut up. Now, what's even further interesting about this, Yarborough is a mixed-race woman. She refers to her children as black. And yet the majority of these Black Lives Matter protesters, if you watch the video, are all white guys. Here's what it sounded like. Cut one, Clark. And you're my idols because you guys are celebrating his life. It was a terror. I'm sure it was a terror. You're not okay. You're alive. Shut up. You guys need to just let it go. Grief in silence. This is not okay. This is not a George Floyd situation. George Floyd was unarmed. He was unarmed. You're alive. This is not okay. My kids have to deal with this and probably have a mental illness now because they almost lost their life. There's bullet holes in my kitchen because he sat in the hallway watching my move. Now I don't have a place to call home. I can't sleep that night. You can take it down, Clark. You you get the idea. (laughs) This went on. Now, believe it or not, the Black Lives Matter protesters started lecturing, lecturing her at the end saying that this was not the time or the place for her to be challenging them. (laughs) You can't make it up. Uh, Maybe this was not the time or the place for them to be protesting. The the truth of the matter is, this 22-year-old Good Samaritan that took out the gunman in Indianapolis, if that had happened in Minnesota— what would Black Lives Matter have done? If that had happened in Minnesota and the 22-year-old was a policeman that took the guy out, you, you, I guarantee you they'd be protesting because that's exactly what happened in Minnesota. So in Indiana, a gunman takes out the shooter and we call him a hero. If you're in Minneapolis, though, Black Lives Matter will show up and start protesting when the police come in and intervene and take out the bad guy. Can't make it up. Interesting story out of the Washington Examiner. Special counsel John Durham over the weekend has, it was released, this information was released and was talked about by Cash Patel, a former top House Intelligence Committee aide and Trump administration official. He has uh, talked about the fact that John Durham has requested from the judge 30 subpoenas for testimony. Cash Patel makes a great point. Listen, if you're going to the judge and saying, I want to fly in 30 different witnesses, and and, and again, this goes back to the Clinton dossier, goes back to Hillary Clinton herself, Mark Elias, who we know all too well here in the state of North Carolina, Michael Sussman, who got off on a charge in May. Uh, These individuals 
I'm not saying they will. I mean, we we talk about Hillary Clinton. Somehow the Clintons always managed to. They didn't call him Slick Willie for nothing. They always managed to slide their way out of these things. But when you're asking for 30 subpoenas to fly in people from literally different parts of the world and certainly different parts of the country, uh, that tells me that um, – and, and tell Cash Patel, yeah, I, he probably John Durham has something that is uh, worth waiting for. And we don't know exactly – it wasn't told who the people are that he's sending out subpoenas for. But um, he, listen, he, has, he expanded his, his team. He is taking his time, and now the subpoenas are going to go out. 30 different subpoenas. Keep your eye on that. I think we're going to see something uh, that's going to be uh, pretty good entertainment. And, you know, it's uh, it, it could line up fairly well. I mean, listen, the Democrats have enough problems as it is, but this could line up fairly well with the upcoming November election. <laughs> not not that the Republicans need more fodder, but they very well might get it through uh, John Durham. Uh, interesting story in the News and Observer today talking about how Democrats have had it with Democrats. Now, the fact that this story is coming from the News and Observer, you wouldn't be surprised to learn that the libs over at the NNO say it's because their political party, the Democrat Party, is in control of the White House and Congress, and yet they did not do enough to protect Roe v. Wade. Now, they focus this story on a number of different college students, college students that are involved in uh, the Democrat Party, uh, college Democrats, etc. The uh, story goes on to say that the Roe v. Wade issue is a problem for the Democratic Party across the country, including North Carolina, where several congressional and state midterm races are expected to be competitive. In order for Democrats to defy dire electoral forecasts in November, strategists say, their base must vote with the fervor they showed in 2020, including the youngest Americans who turned out in record numbers overwhelmingly for President Biden. At stake here in North Carolina is access to abortion. Apparently, the News and Observer doesn't read the same polls that at least I read and most people read. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, there was a poll out, I think it was Rasmussen, there was a poll out that asked voters what issues were most important to you as you go to cast your vote in the November election. The choice, I don't know, ranked higher than the choice of abortion. That's how unimportant the abortion issue is for the American voter right now. And quite frankly, wait a minute, the idea that the Democrat base must vote with the fervor they showed in 2020. <laughs> Let's go back and look at that uh, election. In 2020, Republicans picked up a significant number of House races. They didn't lose seats. They picked up seats. In fact, as I've said, the reason why it is so doubtful that Biden had a legitimate win, it was the first time in our country's history that a sitting president's party picked up seats in the House while the president was not reelected. It was also the first time that a sitting president picked up more votes than he had four years earlier, and he was not reelected. 
Wait, that's the fervor you want? <laughs> that's not exactly – I mean, I think Republicans would be very happy if it was a repeat of 2020, uh, set aside the presidential election. But uh, it's – frankly, the Democrats would hope it would be as good as 2020. It's not going to be. It's going to be a shellacking. However, the News and Observer goes on to say Biden's popularity – with the under-30 crowd, has declined since he took office. Unnerving campaigns who see presidential approval ratings as a gauge of how elections will shake out. A New York Times Cinema uh, College, I'm sorry, Siena College survey found that a mere 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of the president's job performance. 1%. Now, granted, that's strongly approved, but still, 1%. That's not good. Midterms draw fewer voters than presidential races and frequently come down to which side can persuade their core voters to show up. That is a heavy lift for the party of a first-term president, according to history, even a good president. However, heavier now by the weight of inflation and crime, Republicans will uh, motivate droves to turn out for the GOP. Democrats have found some success in races for state government in North Carolina, but have floundered more in federal contests. They haven't won a Senate or presidential race in the state since 2008, when Obama was the clear preference to young voters across the country, inspiring many to cast ballots with zeal. Hadn't happened since then. Some political analysts predict the fall of Roe v. Wade would unleash a burst of civic enthusiasm among the country's youth, who, according to a recent Monmouth poll, disagreed with the decision more than any other age group. In interviews with the Washington Post, however, 10 college Democrats in North Carolina described a mixed impact. Yes, more of their peers are ready to fight back, but they are more furious with Democrats. You know, this story in the News and Observer goes into detail about how a number of these Uh, college students had received an email from Nancy Pelosi asking for more money to protect Roe v. Wade, in which every one of these Democrat students, and these are from colleges all across uh, the state of North Carolina, from UNC, uh, Chapel Hill, um, down to Bowie's Creek, to North Carolina State, to the western part of the state, to Meredith College, every one of them were furious. How dare Nancy Pelosi ask for money when they had the White House, they had Congress, and they couldn't do anything to codify Roe v. Wade. So they are ticked at Nancy Pelosi. They are not enthusiastic about working for any Democrat. And I'm talking about the core constituents of the progressives. They're, they're sick of their own party. Interestingly, researchers at Tufts University flagged that the number of 18 to 24-year-olds who are registered to vote in June is lagging behind the 2018 pace, especially for freshly eligible ballot casters. In other words, they're disillusioned. They could care less. College co-eds interviewed for this article did not want Biden to run again in 2024 even though they weren't sure who might have a better shot at the White House. That's because they don't have anybody. And by the way, the one person they have, Joe Manchin, there was an article out today. I can't remember who the person was, but there's an article out today uh, by a leading Democrat advocating that Joe Biden be kicked out of the Democratic Party. He is the only person 
that could actually run for the presidency and might have a shot at winning, and they want to kick him out. 21-year-old Janelle Neville, a UNC student government advisor, said, quote, there's this feeling of mass helplessness, mass uselessness. Of course there's mass helplessness and mass uselessness, but she missed one. There's the uh, mass hopelessness. I mean, how can you feel hopeful? How can you feel helpful? How can you feel useful when your desire is to have a law codifying Roe v. Wade, a law that would allow you to kill babies? Uh, Yeah, it's no wonder you feel helpless and hopeless and useless. The other side of the coin, all right? Maybe it is good that people are feeling helpless, useless, and hopeless. Christ said of himself, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, weary, burdened, and I'll give you rest. In order to respond, uh, you must first acknowledge I'm weary and burdened. And uh, maybe we're getting there. Maybe that's the good news. Maybe this this feeling of helplessness, usefulness, and hopefulness. uh, Maybe the fact that that is not being embraced by these uh, young Democrats, that might be a good sign. We're going to take a time out. I'll be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Quick look at your weather forecast. Generally clear tonight, low around 75. Mostly sunny in the morning. Some scattered thunderstorms later in the day. Tomorrow's high of 93. Isolated thunderstorms tomorrow night. Overnight low of 73. It is Global Hug Your Kids Day. Go home and hug your kids. Can't hug your kids too many times, right? 53 years ago today, 1969, just before midnight on a Friday evening, a drunken Ted Kennedy drove his car off the bridge on uh, Chappaquiddick Island near Martha's Vineyard. His innocent passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny, died. Brave Teddy swam to safety, leaving, leaving Mary Jo in the car. He left the scene, didn't report it to the police for several hours. Teddy was given one year's probation, went on to uh, serve in the U.S. Senate, until his death in 2009. Talk about uh, unjust. Wow. I, I mentioned uh, Nancy Pelosi in the uh, previous segment talking about her uh, asking for more money to, uh, I, I mean, they're really running on Roe v. Wade trying to vilify the Supreme Court, trying to raise money off of what was Again, it's really interesting the number of people who still don't realize that abortion is merely now a state's rights issue where it belonged all along, uh, you know, and and yet, and interestingly, too, uh, by the way, as a sidebar, uh, Ted Cruz uh, mentioned earlier over the weekend that um, the Supreme Court ruling legalizing gay marriage was clearly wrong. Ted Cruz argued Sunday the Supreme Court decision in 2015 to legalize nationwide same-sex marriage was clearly wrong and that the high court had overreached. 
Now, again, I know people are going to uh, say, oh, see, there, we, we, there the liberals said after we get rid of Roe v. Wade, we'll get rid of uh, gay marriage. We're not going to get rid of it, but it's not the federal government. It's up to the states to decide these things. It needs to be a state's right issue. But anyway, getting back to the uh, Nancy Pelosi story, Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, um, he is in the news again. And if this is not insider information, there's a deal out there where Congress is talking about handing $52 billion over to semiconductor producers. I mean, all the problems we're having with chips, and now they want to compensate for the lack of chips and the fact that most of these chips are being made overseas, many of them in China. They really want to incentivize the semiconductor manufacturers here in this company, in, in this country, I should say. So Paul Pelosi, before this information came out, was buying all kinds of call options to one particular company that would highly benefit if this $52 billion goes through. Now, it has gone through the House. Whether or not it becomes law, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. But according to the filing, Paul Pelosi exercised 200 call options, equivalent to 20,000 shares of a company called NVIDIA, Strike price of $100, expiration uh, date of June 17, 2022, between, uh, worth between $1 million and $5 million. Um, so he made a boatload of money off that. And uh, it, it's, it's clearly insider trading, clearly information that he had gotten from his wife. And yet the speaker today came out and said, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm against insider trading. Oh, my goodness. She really she was asked about the controversial buy that her husband made and the, uh, the the statement released from her office the speaker does not own any stocks as you can see from the required disclosures with the speaker fully cooperating these transactions were marked SP for spouse the speaker has no prior knowledge or subsequent involvement in any transactions, Nancy Pelosi spokesman Drew Hamill said in a statement of Fox Business. Yeah, she might not have any knowledge about him going out and buying these, but yet that she didn't say she didn't tell her husband about them. <laughs> All she's got to do, little pillow talk. Yeah, the idea of having pillow talk next to Nancy Pelosi, ugh. <laughs> but, and she comes out with a statement basically saying, oh, yeah, I'm totally against insider trading. I mean, what Nancy Pelosi's husband is worth millions. I'm trying to see if it's in this article here. Of course, he was the guy that was uh, arrested. Paul Pelosi estimated wealth north of $100 million. How do you think he made all that money? Hmm. Uh, yeah, Paul Pelosi, the guy that was uh, – Drunk last month. By the way, his attorney for Paul, the attorney for Paul Pelosi came out and uh, talked about the fact that Paul Pelosi was arrested, and uh, he never said he wasn't drunk driving. He got a DUI. The attorney never said he wasn't drunk driving. He just came out and said, "Well, there are a lot of inaccuracies in that news reporting about Paul Pelosi," and he corrected a couple of things like. He didn't leave the dinner at 7.15. He left at 7.30. <laughs> and, 
it was uh, I, again, you, you know, they, they, it's what you don't say. It's what you don't say, Nancy and Paul and your attorney. Ron, you know, we've got to take another time out, don't we? Let's, let's take a time out. Lots more to talk about. I've got a great story about Ron DeSantis and a teacher's union poll, which has blown up in the face of the teacher's union. We'll talk about it when we get back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here we are. Welcome back in. Um, do you remember the Andy Griffith episode where Andy and Barney and the town band wanted to go from Mayberry to Raleigh to play in some competition? And they were terrible, and the mayor wouldn't let them go because they were so horrible. They'd go every year, and they'd always come in last place. They were terrible. And then Freddie Fleet's guys come into town, and they end up fooling the mayor, and he says, yeah, you can go. But they couldn't play. They tried to play Stars and Stripes, and they could not play it to save their lives. Um, apparently, that happened when Joe was over um, visiting the Palestinians, the Palestinian honor guard. Now you, you got to figure that the Palestinian honor guard. Say that ten times fast. I, I think they're if they, if they made the band for the honor guard, you'd think they'd know how to play a basic song, right? So when Joe gets there, the honor guard is to play the United States national anthem. I would submit to you that the Mayberry Band could have done a better job. Now, there's a lot of speculation that that was done purposely. I mean, you gotta you gotta figure out these guys are in the honor guard. Can you not play the? I mean, junior high bands could pull off a better version of this national anthem than the Palestinian honor guard. Just saying. Before a friendly audience last Friday, Governor Ron DeSantis excoriated political opponents for wanting to sexualize children. And warp kids. He uh, pointed to the fact that uh, the understanding of uh, critical race theory is ruining kids. The sexualization is ruining kids. Interestingly, a day before his speech, one of the nation's 
largest teachers union. It is the National Teachers Union that opposes Ron DeSantis big time, released a battleground state survey showing in actuality that voters approve of DeSantis's education policy positions and even some of his rhetoric. The American Federation of Teachers circulated the poll conducted by the Democrat firm Heart Research as a call to arms for its members and allies. A major set of red flags in the poll for Democrats and teachers unions were a series of questions that looked like they were ripped right from DeSantis's Friday speech on critical race theory, teaching kids about sexuality and gender identity. While the survey did not mention DeSantis by name, it tested education messages he has popularized nationally, even more so than Glenn Youngkin popularized when he ran for the governor last year. And remember, that was really the issue that Glenn Youngkin came out of nowhere and won that governor's race. Listen to some of these questions. One poll question found that voters, by a 32 percentage point margin, said they're more likely to vote for a candidate who believes that public schools should focus less on teaching race and more on core subjects. (laughs) You think? By 27 points, they said schools should be banned from teaching sexual orientation and gender identity to kids in kindergarten through third grade. And that was basically what Ron DeSantis's uh, parental rights uh, um, uh, bill was about. I don't know if it's third grade or fourth grade, but it's, it was one of those earlier grades in elementary school. By 28 points, they said transgender athletes should be banned from competing in girls' sports. Now, these, are the, this, the, these percentage points is the, the margin by which they won. In other words, the, the people said by these margins that they preferred the more conservative approach to all these issues. Even when the poll asked about politicians who say schools must stop, gr- stop grooming students by encouraging them to question their gender identity or sexual preference, respondents said they were more likely to back those political candidates by 22 points. Remember, it was DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pershaw, who popularized the explosive conservative charge of grooming when Democrats this past winter won the branding war by successfully defining the so-called parental rights bill as the don't say gay bill. You know, interestingly, they, they, it, it didn't take. I mean, when you see these poll numbers, and again, remember, this was a poll that was paid for through a Democrat firm, Heart Research, paid for by the American Federation of Teachers. Why do I say that? That's important because how you ask the question oftentimes gets you the answer you want. In other words, if these questions were framed in a certain way, they were framed in a way that would be more favorable to the teachers union, not less favorable. And even then, by a margin of 32 points, 27 points, 28 points, 22 points, question after question. And, and again, I, you know, who, who, was, who were being polled? You'd have to get into the fine print. But heart research, now if they wanted an accurate poll, they would have 
accurately gone out and asked a uh, the, the the same percentage of Republicans, Independents, and Repub- and uh, Democrats as there are registered across the country. Chances are they wanted uh, a poll more favorable to them. So they probably skewed those numbers and had a heavier number of Democrats. I'm speculating there. I don't know that for sure. But listen, the teachers' union poll, here's something else it showed. The teachers' union poll showed that the battleground voters trusted conservative parents as much as they trusted the teachers. So all these parents that are being vilified across the country, we see them up in Loudoun, Virginia. We uh, we see them all across the country. They're being vilified. You've got these liberal school boards that want to throw them out when they they get up and protest in these meetings, when they get up and say, why are we having these pornographic books available in our libraries? They're vilified. And yet this poll conducted by the teachers' union, they they trust those conservative parents – Basically the same amount that they trust the teachers. And look at all the bad press that those conservative parents have gotten. Unbelievable. MSNBC host Katie Turr wonders if she's doing more harm than good as a journalist, as trust in the media has dwindled in recent years. People don't trust us, Turr said last week. Turr was asked by The Hill about admitting she almost walked away from journalism altogether during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's something that I don't have a concrete answer to, and that's not because I don't love journalism. I do. It's just convergence of two issues, the pandemic, how she feels about the overall industry. One of them being we are covering very dark stuff in succession. It seems like it's getting darker and darker, and it can be hard on your mental health. It can be a bit demoralizing. On top of that, there is just this Gallup poll out today that shows that trust in the media, we talked about this poll last week, newspapers and televisions hitting an all-time low. And this Gallup poll indicated that uh, television and newspaper newscasts has crumbled. 16% of Americans say they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in newspapers. In 2022, that's a 5% drop compared to 2021. It was the lowest number to give uh, those answers to Gallup since they started asking in 1973. Television news was worse. Uh, Americans have uh, more concern in 2022 as a dismal 11% told Gallup they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in that industry. That figure down from the 16% who were confident last year. People don't trust us, she said. They don't believe us. It makes me wonder if this job, as I am currently doing it, is effective. But it's doing more harm than good, Tur said. I don't have a good answer for that. Though these thoughts linger in the back of my mind, they linger, though, because I do love and I think it's important and I'm hoping to find a way to do it better to communicate with people. A Pew Research Center study last week indicated that 55% of journalists survey say that every side does not always deserve equal coverage in the news. But 76% of Americans overall believe journalists should always strive to give all sides equal coverage. That's your problem right there. 55% of journalists think it's okay to skew the news, to give just one side, while 76% of Americans said, no, of course you should give both sides. 
Quote, while some feel that equal coverage is always necessary to allow the public to be equally informed about multiple sides of an argument, those who disagree argue that people making false statements or unsupported conjectures do not warrant as much attention as those making factual statements with solid supporting evidence, according to Pew. Tour, whose memoir, quote, Rough Draft, delves into her unique upbringing, an ascent in journalism, also explained that she attempts to be fair to both sides of the aisle, but, she goes ahead and admits, but I found that difficult during the Trump administration. Quote, I guess it felt like the moment was so scary and so dire with Donald Trump and the presidency that they needed to seek comfort in someone who felt like fighting back and fighting the good fight. She said of people who appreciated her approach to covering the 45th president. So basically, she's admitting that when she covered the president, she skewed the information that she was disseminating to make Trump look bad. And lady, that's the precise reason why people don't trust you. (laughs) Clearly, somewhere around 50% of the voting public like Donald Trump as president. You admit you're biased against Trump. And uh, that was your everyday norm of how you reported on Donald Trump. And you wonder why nobody trusts you to deliver the news. (laughs) Unbelievable. And yet, that's that's where we live. That's where we are today. Uh, You know, I guess the theme of today's program is even the libs, even the Democrats, they don't know where to turn for the answer. They're totally despondent. They're depressed. I would be, too, if I believed what you believe. Hey, thanks for being with us today. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Join us then. We'll see you. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.